about moving meditations is that uh, you're synchronizing your breath with your mind's intention. So literally your breath becomes your mantra. And what I really want to emphasize through the entire time that we're here together tonight through this tech is that meditation is so much more than sitting on a pillow for an hour. A lot of people are really intimidated by the practice of meditation and they don't want to put their tush to the cush because they can't like stop moving or they can't stop thinking and it's too intimidating and it looks like you have to be really serious about it. But yoga or mindfulness practices in and of itself should be playful and organic and um, really um, this beautiful fluid expression from your heart. Right? So there are a wide variety of spiritual exercises that use the postures and movements as paths to compassion and contemplation. So tonight, that's really what we're going to focus on. And then we're actually going to try and experience some of these things so that you can be like, oh, this is really interesting. And I want to take this to the next level. And I want to maybe try this or, um, you know, research some of this stuff and dive deeper into something that might not be yoga per se, but is a meditation and a moving meditation. Because they're all different paths to one pretty important too. Uh, just a segue to that, a lot of people are going to come to your class and say like, oh, I don't try that type of yoga, you know, quote unquote, or I don't go to that place, or I don't like that style, right? But I want you to remember that because there are so many different paths to that one, to find wholeness, to find harmony, to find bliss, and to let go of pain and suffering, that if someone wants to try a different style and it's not your jam, it still is really awesome that they're doing it because they're finding what resonates with them. And we are all here having completely different experiences. So it's really important to accept and embrace all different modes of, uh, uh, modes and expressions of someone's, um, what resonates with them to get them to get into a meditative space. Because I see a lot of yoga teachers becoming judgmental or becoming um, negating certain practices. And I think it's really important that we come to our space as teachers with an open mind and not be jaded or critical or um, negating something that might work for others but don't work for you as a teacher, you know? Um, so that you have many different paths to the compassion and the contemplation. A moving meditation itself allows one to turn any form of conscious movement into something sacred. So I liked that um, Jana said that this is something, an action that leads to prayer, um, because it is, you're listening to your heart sing. You're listening to your own inner truth, which in our day-to-day minutiae um, gets really, really bogged down and covered and layered. Um, and we set all these boundaries and put all of these walls up so that when we create any form of moving meditation, it allows you to find your true expression and to listen to that pure of heart revolutionary spirit and that inner light that gets so dim 
when we get pressures of the shoulda, coulda, wouldas, or other people's expectations, or just like, oh, I have to do this task because I'm in a task-oriented job, or I have to do this kind of stuff, you know? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And when you open up to this space, whether it's an asana or some of the disciplines and modalities that we're gonna talk about tonight, it allows you to truly um, be present, observe, witness, and settle into your truth, right? Like always when we're working with kids and we talk about how you can get really scattered and you take like a, a, a snow globe and you shake it up, you say, this could be your thoughts. But then when you let it kind of settle and you watch it, then all of a sudden you see that beautiful scenario that's inside of the container that was really not present because there was too much going on. It was too staticky. It was too um, blurry. And that's the same thing that happens with our minds. Whatever modality that you decide to do that brings you into compassion and contemplation and brings you into your essence... That's conscious awareness. And that's why I like all types of things. I'm an equal opportunist. Right? <laughs> I'm one of, you know, like, and I tell you all to do the same thing. Try everything once. But if you don't like it again, don't do it. But also don't pass judgment because that uh, is just an experience. It, do, it doesn't mean it's the way to that place. Uh, so I wrote here, to me, mindful meditation is a fitness or exercise that is executed with conscious awareness. It involves a heightened state of being, a clear mental focus, and it gives you the ability to train your body to move optimally, whether it's through asanas or athletic activities or dance, and most importantly, optimally through everyday life. So even though these are moving meditations, they still allow you to uh, create a purposeful pause, and they allow you to create space to feel the yoga. And remember that yoga, by definition, the word itself doesn't mean movement, right? Yoga, by definition, and whatever kind of different definition you find out there, it's about the wholeness, the unification, the integration, you know, finding that infinite loop of the inhales and the exhales so you can take yourself to center. So it really, any form of being in the zone we'll talk about tonight is being witness to wholeness. That's yoga. So all of these different moving meditations truly are yoga when it's an experience to bring you into the present moment. I gave you some kind of basic guidelines for a moving meditation. Um, I know in Jane, when we were going through our, uh, our mentorship group, um, we had someone who was basically creating her own style of yoga, right? And... Um, like just on her own path but she was so happy and so like you know you just have to kind of um, follow a rough template to have a guideline for a moving meditation but then when it's yours and you own it go for it because there's going to be people who resonate with what you're into yeah 
Your basic guideline for the moving meditation would be to have an expression, an experience to bring you to the present moment, hopefully an intention to communicate or connect with something greater than yourself. You know, once you peel away those layers and you get rid of the monotony and you realize that you're not the only one who feels this way, but we don't let ourselves be vulnerable when we put up those walls, then all of a sudden you're realizing that you're connected to others and this experience that you're having isn't just solely your own, but you, there's a greater thing out there. And that's why intentions are so good because it makes you really feel that interconnectedness. Another guideline to kind of think about is the practice should be based upon a rhythmic physical movement to focus and center the mind. And this is when I always think of like a metronome. And that's really what your breath is, right? The ohm of the earth or the resonance of the earth is like 7.83 hertz. And if that has like this kind of like primordial sound that everybody kind of gravitates towards and kind of resonates with and becomes uh, in tune with, in sync with, if you're off track or if you have all these layers upon you and you don't have a metronome or if you get stressed out and you are scattered or you start getting anxious and you hold your breath or if you're like not holding your breath but you start breathing really erratically and fast and rough and jagged and rough and just like it you're not in tune with yourself or with that greater whole so to create that metronome or that rhythmic physical movement that helps you to breathe that's really key in finding and centering the mind and focusing Another guideline for a moving meditation is that it doesn't always have to be the instructor or the one guiding the practice who creates the rhythm, but it could just be the practitioner that creates the rhythm. And we're going to kind of play around with some animal moves. So we'll see about that. Um, it should activate the subtle flow of energy throughout the body so that you have a sense of lightness. And I think this is really interesting because um, there's all kinds of different names, and I listed some there, for the idea of energy or life force. But every single practice or discipline is working with the energy channels, the limbic system, right? It's working with the central nervous system. It's aligning the um, subtle body so that you can be harmonious. So whether it's sen lines or meridian lines or reflexology points or, you know, as yogis we call it nadis or chakras, these little flowing rivers of energy and then the major points, your chakras, all of a sudden you're getting a sense of lightness. And, you know, like saying the weight of your world is uh, rolling off the shoulders truly can happen when we're not stuck in the um, samskaras and the broken records of our thoughts, but we're actually able to kind of be present and tuned into um, a more synergistic self. Okay. 
Um, and in turn, when you have this subtle flow of energy and you have this lightness, you start to be more attentive and aware of your body parts, which in turn, you start to move smart. And you work your with your body and not against it. Um, a lot of times I'll talk about in other texts that you all have been in about the idea of alignment. To me, this is what happens when you're attentive and aware of your body parts and you feel light. You are literally in Tadasana, right? You are aligned. So if we all kind of check out how we're all hanging out, right? We're listening, but we might not be aligned right? We might not be truly engaged or present because we might be schlumping. We might be, if you think of your pelvic bowl of your, um, you know, your uh, region around the hips and the pubic bone, tailbone, and you might be dumping all your energy out, right? You might be holding everything in and being really protective. Mm -hmm. It just depends. But when you really start to come into Tadasana, when you come into that alignment, that moving smart allows you to um, meditate. It allows you to be present to your greatness. I always think it's funny because, like, you know, you are a therapist by trade, but, um, like, yoga in and of itself was really teaching you the golden rules of how to get your shit together. Right? It was really teaching you, um, it was like the first doctrine or kind of written down text, you know, over 2,500 years ago, that was teaching you all about like how to calm the fluctuations of the mind so that you can be aligned in your truth and that you can be a better human, right? So it's like all those empowerment things that are happening right now and all of those like um, goal setting practices and things like that, like that was already happening and was known by doing a moving meditation. It helped you be a better person and really listen to your heart's desire instead of being bogged down by mm, the other caca that we have to deal with. Um, slow motion movement slows down your mind and brings you back to center. And it focuses on the motions themselves rather than having a specific goal. And I think that's pretty huge. Because as teachers, when you start teaching, you have an arc of a class. But you are setting an intention for your practice. And you have an arc. But as that arc flows, it doesn't always go like a robot right? This needs to go to this, and this needs to go to this, and if it doesn't go to that, then it's going to be all messed up. You have to really watch organically what's happening in the room, and you become almost like a conductor. You know, you're orchestrating something, and something might be out of tune, so you might have to, like, shift midway, right? So you have that overall arc and theme, but it might shift, and I think that to have that awareness as an instructor is really good, because you are creating a moving meditation, with no judgment. So that you have to kind of let go of the reins a little bit because your students are really the people who are um, executing the class. And you're not practicing as a teacher, which makes it even harder. You have to like watch. And in turn, when you're doing this slow motion movement, and you focus on the motion themselves rather than having a specific goal, you will be a better teacher.
It's kind of like that idea of when you're teaching, you're not teaching from a place of an ego, but you're teaching from a place of um, compassion, and um, you're teaching from a place of open awareness. So you're holding space for people versus gripping onto people and making them cling to you as if you are the guru, right? You are creating that space so that they can find their metronome and they can find that the guru is within them. Um, one thing after um, you kind of set up the basic guideline for your moving meditations is the idea of prana. As yogis, we talk a lot about pranayama, right? And that's really um, all about our vital life force and our subtle energy. But there's many names in other cultures for energy, so I just shared some of them with you. Ashe, um, Ruach, and Chi. Ashe, I think, is like an African uh, uh, Ruach, is Hebrew. And uh, Chi is the energy, like Chi Gong. Anybody have a good other good word for energy that's spiritual in nature? You don't have to. <laughs> I just thought maybe some, I am always looking for new things. Um, pranayama, if we take that idea of pranayama we're talking about, is that we are working with the smallest atom of vital life force and developing a witness. So we're literally creating consciousness through, co uh, through movement as a path to compassion and contemplation. So pranayama, even just a simple breath practice, which is part of your um, list of things, that is a moving meditation because your diaphragm is moving. You're taking that uplifting um, breath, the ujjayi, that victorious breath, and you are working um, your bandhas. So you might not be totally moving, but when you have breath practices, you are moving. And one of my favorite things to do is in the morning is to do a breath practice while I'm still laying in bed, just to kind of like condition my body, wake it up, and it's almost like a full body stretch or some spinal twists or a little mini practice because all of a sudden I just feel really whole and everything's just moving together and breathing. Whereas when you're sleeping, I don't know about all of you, but sometimes I go <laughs> and, and I, my breathing's a little bit erratic and yeah. So it's a nice way to wake up. Uh, vinyasa is an interesting thing and that's why I also um, gave you that handout with the creating flow through mindful transitions in a yoga class. If a lot of people live a short distance from their body, we really need to um, practice mindfulness and pay attention and be more present. So that a vinyasa itself is a lot about observing where you are at the moment. And um, you're working through subtleties and you are um, focusing on the nuances of your um, movements. When you break down the Sanskrit roots of the term vinyasa, it means to place in a special way. And that's a, a pretty hefty word, 
you know, because you see vinyasa a lot in like power vinyasa or um, vinyasa blah blah blah. But, um, you know, everybody calls their class something different. But all you're really doing is you're placing something in a special way that is a breath-synchronized movement throughout a quote-unquote yoga class. So if you are doing a walking meditation uh, or a labyrinth meditation like what Julia was talking about, you are basically placing your foot in a special way. And I love how, and when we do this meditation for a walking meditation, we'll kind of play around with it. But I love how Thich Nhat Hanh always um, has this great quote, like, um, walk as if your feet are kissing the earth. And it's so pretty because it really makes you think again about how you're placing something in a special way. That your vinyasa, your expression and your move um, allows you to create that, um, bless you, allows you to um, connect and create a moving meditation just as if your yoga class would do the same thing, you know? It's a, just a different way to view it. But each one practice that we talk about tonight allows you to observe yourself as you are. And they allow you to get into what as meditators and yogis we call a blue sky mind or a formless mind. Mm -hmm. That's a really tough thing to do, right? Because even as you're sitting here, you're all probably thinking about like food or dinner or the drive or I want to lay down because I really am relaxed and all that good stuff, right? You know, or oh shoot, I didn't wear the right clothes. I should have worn something more comfortable. Um, you know, what's everybody doing at home? But the idea of... Um, kind of staying alert and present and having a blue sky mind and not clinging to a thought is a really tough thing to do. Even in a yoga class, we cling to a lot of thoughts, but when most vinyasa practices around town now, you have like music, so then you can get stuck in the music and not your thoughts. You have maybe someone talking to you, but if you really just focus on the metronome and the rhythm of the breath, then all of a sudden, it's like having a blue sky mind or a formless mind is really pretty basic and easy because it allows you to listen to, just like what I titled the class, the mantra of the breath. So your intention becomes your breath every time you step to a mat or do a labyrinth or do an energy practice or do a qigong or, you know, get a massage. All you're doing is trying to um, engage the subtle body and your life force energy to let go so that you can be more yourself, more authentic, more in your heart space. Um, when people come to the mat, I think it's really hard for them to embody the moment, right? And that's why people like coming to the four corners of a yoga mat and standing on it and having someone tell them what to do, because um, it's really um, hard to be present in the moment and kind of drop in and anchor into your truth. But when someone's telling you what to do, isn't it easier? Like, if you had a job where you didn't have to think and all you did was, like, had to stuff envelopes, in some ways that would be so lovely, right? 
because then like no one's like oh it's just easy I know what I'm doing I'm not gonna F up I just have to sit here I don't have to like you know make some executive decision right I mean at some point something's gonna happen where you have to like actually be margin charge but until then it's kind of easy right so I think that you know people don't want to do the hard work they want the the uh, aspirin instead of the vitamin so that's why a vinyasa practice is so easy but if you said to someone we're going to do an Iyengar class tonight I know you all came in for an hour and a half vinyasa but we're going to do an Iyengar class and we're probably going to do about 10 poses everybody would start freaking out because <laughs> they would not know what to do with their brains right but if we start through a vinyasa practice and give someone a foundation to let their breath be their mantra and create that inner metronome, you could give them any kind of yoga class and they would be able to stand and be anchored in their truth because their breath has been conditioned through a vinyasa class to be able to experience that. Um, and that's what's really interesting too, like a lot of people hopefully as we're starting to anchor in and be more present and we're starting to wake up on the mat through a vinyasa practice, more and more classes are going to become slower, more energetic, more simplistic, more where you're just really allowing yourself to chillax. So I really think that there's going to start being a shift from this like... Um, work out to a work in that it will really start happening i've even seen it in a lot of senior teachers when you see them 10 years later how they start their practices are totally different the way they teach them they might have had that really hard class where they were teaching and it was like boom 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 move 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 and then all of a sudden like half of their class was breath work and a seated meditation at the end so it's it's kind of lovely to see um, how we're bringing um, everything um, from once you get the foundation, then you're just like the, um, you know, the eight limbs of the practice. You have to start with that strong foundation of the outer body to then move into the more inner experiences. But you have to literally create the metronome or create the experience in any moving meditation to teach you how to then finally elevate to that final space of <coughs> mindfulness practices of putting your tush to the tush. <laughs> um, so a vinyasa, uh, and that'll be that handout, you guys can look at it on your own, but um, I just gave you an opportunity to kind of see how... Um, you could create mindful transitions and how you outline it and a basic flow of your class when you start working towards sequencing and working towards your mentorship practices. Uh, one thing that also really goes into the idea of moving meditations is the idea of shtira sukha asanam. The idea of movement and stillness or balancing out a steady and easeful state is really important when you're thinking about a moving meditation because you don't 
want to um, kind of tip, tip the scales, if that makes sense. You want to keep that um, smooth uh, state of equilibrium and peace within the person. If you make things really erratic and choppy, then it's not a moving meditation anymore. Another thing to think about in a moving meditation um, is that um, the essence of hatha yoga is about the idea of hatha. And ha and ta you all know as sun and moon, or male and female, good and bad, positive, negative, you know, all kinds of other examples that you can think of of ha and ta. But an overlooked meaning of it is force or masterful. So if you're balancing out all of these experiences, whatever kind of moving meditation that you're doing, you're practicing shtira sukha, finding a steady and easeful state. You are balancing the ha and the ta because through the expression, you're allowing yourself to activate the subtle flow of energies. And that's why as a teacher, you never want to tell someone like, oh, you practice that kind of yoga? <laughs> or you do that? Because it's all um, peace, man. It's all one love. It's all, you know. And that's the next line here that I wrote, many ways to be in the zone. So I'm giving you different examples based on active body-based practices that have graceful flowing movements. Hmm? Uh, power vinyasa yoga is a way to surf the breath where maybe you started off with an eight-limb practice of ashtanga. That's a very rhythmic practice. Every pose is held for five deep breaths. And then you have your vinyasas that are your transitions. And so in an hour and a half, you've created a really stellar sequence to align the subtle body. Uh, when you're surfing the breath, there are some people who actually have surfing backgrounds and have created yoga practices like my friend Doug Swenson, who is David Swenson's brother. He has a great um, um, practice and uh, he was a surfer, and so he made a practice that's very surf-like. Would you like to try one of his sequences? All right, so we're gonna stand up. I won't make you go through a whole Ashtanga practice. What's really neat about what he does is he makes everything very organic and fluid. And you'll see the next two names on your list, how they um, are also very Place your hands onto your thighs, lift your chest, 
And then exhale, take your hands back behind the legs, fold forward. Nice, let's try that one more time. Inhale, hands on top of the shins and the quads. And then exhale your hands to the hamstrings, fold forward. Inhale, lift your chest halfway. Exhale, bend your knees, sweep your hands forward like you're throwing water over your shoulders. And then exhale, fold forward. Isn't that pretty? Inhale, lift your chest up. Exhale, fold forward. Inhale, lift your chest up. Exhale, fold forward. So you've moved from Tadasana to Uttanasana to Ardha Uttanasana, and then you've folded forward from Dandasana into Paschimottanasana. But you did it from this really nice, like, movement, like a rolling wave. That's what he calls that transition from standing to seated, like a rolling wave. Pretty, right? There's an, a lovely woman named Shiva Ray. Have you ever heard of Shiva Ray? So she does a lot of dancerly things, right? So if you're in a warrior too, and I'm sure you've done like the reverse warrior to the extended side angle, that all came from her playful movement and Cali style, right? There's <laughs> a lot of that. So um, then um, there's a name on here named Simon Park. Simon's pretty cool. Um, he does a lot of really interesting things. That's very Tai Chi and um, fluid, um, yogic-based things. So have you ever done the pose where you, um, I can't think of the name right now, but it's an extended side angle stretch, and then it comes an ekapada where you lift your leg up off the ground? Okay, so the idea of getting into it would be like, let's all come to a crescent lunge with our right leg forward. As your right leg is forward and you inhale, reach your arms up high. And exhale, hands to your heart. You're going to do a little Tai Chi move. Take your right hand forward, left arm opens up organically like you're shooting a bow and arrow. Good, inhale, reverse the warrior. Exhale, palms come down inside of the right foot. And then bend into the left leg and move the air. Yep. And then sweep your body back forward. Exhale and slowly release, step out of it. But then once you move this place, then you start to get into it where you lift the leg up off the that would be a really deep hip opening practice, and we would have practiced a lot before we get into that. <laughs> so that was pretty impressive and good. And then there's an amazing human being called Budokan. I want to say he was like a um, private security guard for one of those famous movie stars. And then he um, started going deeper and deeper into practices. A very interesting human being extremely, extremely uh, disciplined practice, um, but really, really beautiful and fun. And he does a lot of things where you'll um, be in down dog and jump into crow. Hmm. So you jump into it, right? Mm -hmm. 
and it's a lot of conditioning and body work because it comes from a martial art practice, which he then combined with yoga. So I remember doing workshops with him where um, we would have a pogo stick and people would hold an end of it and we'd hold it up pretty high and you'd have to jump over it. Like a, a, you know, like what do you call it when you run and jump and split your legs? Yeah, like a hurdler. So we would do different things like a hurdler and then it would start low and then we would dive over it. And so you would practice different ways to do, um, to do um, almost in a calisthenic slash Bruce Lee way, really intense training. And he's now created a training center in California. It's pretty fantastic. So there, I, if you're interested in that kind of stuff, it's really neat. Yeah, it's kind of like capoeira. He does a lot of that, but it is very, like, there's a guy in town who's really good at that kind of stuff. Um, they have Radiant Life Yoga, um, but his name is Matt. If you want, I'll give him after. But there is, there's a lot of, like, this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And we're going to do that stuff in a second. Yeah. Um, I think what's really cool about one of my first experiences with Budokan I was still married, and so I did this with my husband, and this was like the funniest thing to do in the whole world, but we pretended we were animals. <laughs> and it was like so liberating, and um, I don't know, it was just this really weird like way to kind of find expression, but also be really playful. So whenever we would get in like arguments with each other, or get really intense, I would start being like a weird animal, <laughs> and we would just do like more like moving things so that we wouldn't be frustrated with each other. But let's just try. So there's bipeds and you like, there's different ways to walk, right? So you can walk where you're doing opposite hand and opposite foot, right? Or you can walk, you know, on, you know, the hand and the foot on the same and the hand and the foot on the same, right? And not like in different animal forms, so I'm not going to be good at communicating this, but let's try and walk like you are a lizard. And so I'm going to try and walk like a lizard, because this is a movement practice. I'm just trying to stay really low and work with the breath and feel yourself. Honor the lightness in your body. And then slowly come down onto your tummies. <laughs> and feel yourself really strong as you reach your right hand and your right knee forward. And then pull yourself up and take and reach the left hand and the left knee forward. And start to move by moving one side of your body and then the other. And so maybe you start to make your way up out of the dirt, but try and move one side first and then the other. So you're welcome to just guide yourself around with the breath. And then you can uh, gently 
Make your way back to your mats. I know it seems funny, but like what was, uh, after you got over like the weirdness, what did you feel? No, but you're just in this process of breathing, yeah. Kate's like, yeah. <laughs> right? That's like super fun, right? So there's other ways that you can think about moving. And so say you're teaching like a kid's yoga class, or you're teaching a class and you're trying to get adults to kind of get out of their heads and be something, do something more playful, like the partner yoga thing we did. We could have walked around like monkeys or animals or have little kids do different movements and be different like bears or whatever. And that's a way of expression, but it's a moving meditation because it's getting you in tune with your breath. Uh, but what I think is really neat and the way that Buddha Khan kind of related to us is that you're isolating different muscle groups and you're using your body in a more dynamic, integrated way. A lot of times... And that's why I think that some of these power vinyasa classes that are more organic are so great because a lot of times your yoga practice gets really linear, linear and rigid. Mm. Right? Yeah. And there has to be a lot of fluidity and space and freedom, you know? Uh, let's play around with the idea of a sacred dance, and I won't make you dance around like this. But I've seen magnets that say this, dance as though the world around you is your partner. It's very pithy, but it's true. You know, there's whole yoga practices of like, have you ever seen a whirling dervish? There is like yoga styles or different styles of, um, the, there's different practices of yoga, whether it be the bhakti yoga, the yoga of love, but there's also like physical ones where they just dance, and that's how they show their devotion to something greater. And uh, disco dancing, you know, it was like really big in the 70s, but at the same time, it was dancing, right? And um, the idea of like um, ballroom dancing, it is, it is a rhythm, right? Uh, Disco dancing might have had a lot of um, drugs, but it also had a lot of shaking, right? And shaking is a big part of kundalini practices. And um, even I've been in kundalini practices where we do, like, have had patty cake, where we have uh, two people across and two people across, and you play these different games, and then you are hitting the person across and the person in front of you and beside you, and it's really amazing, but it's all bilateral brain integration practices. I always thought that that was like a trick the parents had to call my baby tell me because it was very, you know, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. We had a Kundalini one. I went to a class and she had us doing, it must have been a class, we had our eyes shut, I don't know, and we had to do like, and this must have been cool. Yeah. We had to do these weird things with your, I am telling you what, we were laughing so hard with that, and we were like, you had to shut our eyes so you could laugh out. Yeah. yeah. But it was, you were completely focused. The coolest yeah. thing was that you were thinking about nothing else except for exactly where your hand gestures were between, because it was so hard, and there was only four things. 
Yeah. But it was a really cool, like, I have a reference. Yeah. It was really powerful, but, like, you yeah. had to be there. You had to be there. Yeah. So it was pretty cool. Right? And it combines mudras. Yeah. And then, like, literally, I'd been in um, uh, Gurmukh's class, who's one of the more um, famous Kundalini yogis, where you're standing there, and she'll be like, now just shake your hand. Now I'm going to embarrass you, so stand up. Okay, so all we're going to do is just shake your right hand. Okay? And then shake just your left hand. Okay, now just shake both hands. Good. And start dancing around the room, but we have to go clockwise. So dance over. So there's lots of kundalini dance practices. So Taylor Swift's song, Shake It Off, I think, I think she actually like, took yoga. She took a kundalini class. But there's a lot of empowering kundalini practices that are starting to come up and get cultivated right now. So I highly recommend that. Um, how many of you have done Tai Chi? Yeah. Tai Chi is really awesome, right? So it's like moving things around and all that kind of real pretty spatial stuff and very organic. So um, I wanted to do a hands moving meditation that we can do seated, but um, it's very similar to a uh, uh, kind of Tai Chi. Um, that riding the wave of the Tai Chi is just so neat. Um, I just recently studied with a Tai Chi master when I was in, um, what's that place called? Uh, Nosara, when I was in Costa Rica. But there was this beautiful <coughs> fluid thing that would happen, and you just kept doing the same stuff, like nine times. There were like nine specific rhythms, you know, pushing away, pulling back. <coughs> and it was pretty fascinating to see what, could, what was happening because Everything was a breath. And it was just this really interesting way of literally riding the wave. And um, it felt very yogic to me. <coughs> so I highly recommend trying something like that. We release something in you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's check it out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's an interesting... Um, uh, way that um, Japanese practice peace. It's called Aikido. Mm. Has anybody ever done that? Yeah. You have? Yeah. Oh. 
So that's a moving meditation. Yeah, yeah that's really cool. Yeah. I was, I was like the like the camp counselor for like a week long thing of kids who signed up to do the keto. The oh, what do they call the teacher? I can't remember just the word for it, but the the sunset. Is that you? No, it's like then it starts with the D. Um, he was really great, and this was in Seattle, but like he taught kids all the time, so he was like great with kids. But you know, it was like a week long thing where we got to learn about it, and of course, I didn't do it. Yeah, <laughs> so lucky you. So, was it more static, or was no, it? No, like I remember from like warm ups, they did things like the way you do a somersault in keto, it's like kind of on your arm, so oh. putting your head down, so you're sort of doing this like sideways arm thing. So, like warm ups would be like, okay, like just do somersaults and like rows across the mat. Neat. So it's like, that was awesome, but I remember him explaining like the philosophy of it, of it is like to not ever touch your you know, opponent. Like, it's not opponent. Yeah. It's like your other practitioner or whatever. You know, the person you're. It did remind me of that before too, that you're like playing, but like that's the ideal Aikido practice is that you never touch each other. So it is this dance of oh, opposites, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Game show or something like that. Anyway. It was, it was, yeah, that whole, like, like oh, this whole cultural experience that really existed. Mm-hmm. And then there's Qigong, right? Mm -hmm. So Qigong, there's all kinds of different ways. I know a lot more partner Qigong things than I do know um, the kind of, like, personal practices of it. But um, one thing, it, it's, like, I, want, I always want to say going on a bear hunt, but it's, like, uh, you know, like, uh, it's, like, taming the bear. I think it's what it's called, and you like, you basically are like swaying. That's about it. <laughs> but you like sway, and then you do a little bit of tapping, and then some ha and hoo hoo, and yeah, but it's a lot of movement based discipline with breath. So I highly recommend like trying or doing some kind of a qigong practices because it's also moving energy. And uh, the um, one that I always refer to, especially when I'm teaching or working with students and you don't have to kind of work with them, is any kind of tapping practices. Very similar that, uh, to like um, EMT, what? EMDR. Yeah, that. Very similar to that. It's eye movement desensitization reprocess, and it's bilateral stimulation. So you can either do it with your eyes, or you can like listen to beeps, or act like fingers in your hands. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So it's the same kind of thing, but it's tapping. And so like you start off at the top of your head, and you, it, you work all the way down through your body, and over your arms. Have you done this before? I've seen the, I know you're talking about the same thing Gabrielle Bernstein Yes. She'll have people, like, she'll walk them through it. Yeah. I've never officially done a class, but it's like yeah. a similar idea. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Yep. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. So it's tapping, and then you just go all the way down, you can do it seated in a chair, and then you come back up, and you feel really refreshed and very integrated because you have been working on those pressure points and um, reflexology points um, in your body. Really? I've seen a number of these things like on a short visit to China where it's just like people in the park are like doing this yes. or tapping and it's like as an American you're like, what is going on? Yeah. 
And it's the most normal thing, like people are doing it in big groups. Yeah, yeah. Or it's Tai Chi or just yeah. some sort of breathing movement thing. You're like, I don't know what to call that, but there's a group of old people out there doing that. Right, <laughs> right. Or here you yeah. Yeah. right? Well, here you have to go to like a, 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 a community center, or you don't see very many people practicing like on Just the park. Yeah. Yeah, well, that can be the new flash mob. <laughs> That's what we should do. It's a little movement. I would love to, yeah. The, I know like there's one that's like moving the clouds. Um, huh? Yeah, I know. It's been a little cloudy. Uh, and then there's um, a walking labyrinth, which is a specific puzzle. What I find interesting is that when you walk, you walk clockwise to center. And it's the same as a chakra. Your chakras are supposed to go clockwise, like what we were talking about last week. So when you walk through the, the labyrinth, it literally is supposed to reset your, your systems. Um, the mind quiets and the inner symbolic path opens up to you. You walk in, you release, and then you are able to come home to yourself. When you are in the center of your labyrinth, you are able to listen and observe your true nature and receive what you need. And then you stay as long as you want and return in the opposite direction, letting go. I put a link there to how you can locate um, labyrinths and go to one, which is kind of cool. Um, there are a lot more in California than there are in Minneapolis. But one time I went with um, my girlfriend um, who lives in California. She's one of my best friends. And I went to visit her because her kids were like having some kind of event. And she had just seen a labyrinth in a magazine. And she called the lady. And she said, can we come to your house? <laughs> and the lady like let us go to her house. And it was really interesting because the lady told us all about her grounds. And it was someplace in Malibu, like uh, in the hills on the way um, back to more of the um, inland um, cities. And uh, it was just beautiful. And so she kind of, after she explained the grounds, she went back to her house and let us hang out there. So we were there for an hour and we did the labyrinth. And it was really interesting because my friend Jade and myself walked through it and we were like doing totally different things. Mm -hmm. You know, like it was like the, our pacing and what we did when we got to the center. It was fascinating. It was really interesting. So everybody experiences a labyrinth in a different way. But um, I know that there is a yoga studio out in Plymouth that built one. Yeah, it's neat, and, and so you can locate them. Um, there, a lot of um, religious, like churches, have them, mm -hmm. which is interesting. You don't think about that, but... Children's <laughs> Hospital at Cedar Riverside has one, which is, oh. I think, the coolest thing for kids and parents. Yeah. And, like, a hospital is such a stressful space, so to create on their floor, very I, I think it's really cool. Yeah, very cool. But it's, they're hard to find outside. Yeah. That'd be nice. Is there It just depends. It could be really huge. It could be really tiny. It just depends on the space. But the idea of um, and I do a walking labyrinth or a meditation where you're laying down and you're just doing a lot of meditation. So if we have time at the end of this, I'll share that with you, and you can experience it. You can also, a friend taught me this, because I used to work in schools, that you can print off labyrinths and do it with your finger. Mm -hmm. And it is actually, you get a very 
very similar kind of zen-like mindset, which is kind of cool. So you can just like have that in the binder and pull it out. Have you seen the wooden ones? No. They have wooden ones where you like trace them. Oh, I'm telling them. I, like, some enthusiast like showed a group of us once the, the, the theory behind how you can draw one. Mm-hmm. And how it replicates like the curves, the germs in our brain. Mm. That's really cool. This guy really But it's, I mean, I mean, it's not that hard. Like whatever the steps were, the way you described it, it's like, oh yeah, I can do this. Fascinating. I love that. Uh, Trataka or your fixed gaze meditation would be like basically more of a put your tush to the kush kind of a meditation but it also is a moving meditation like I discussed in the beginning it's based upon breath so when you start to really sit there and do a fixed gaze meditation it becomes very fluid and organic it's not like you're not just sitting there So that is considered a moving meditation. (coughs) A breathing meditation where you are practicing maybe breath ratios, that's also really a lovely practice. Or any kind of breathing meditation um, that you could be doing, like in kundalini practices, you do a lot of breath of fire. And that is a huge breath meditation that helps you to create and self-regulate and create more integration. Uh, running is a great thing to do as a therapist you probably know um, it's a great thing for people who are suffering from anxiety to start to learn how to exhale and learn how to um, really start to create a rhythm if they've lost it your diaphragm is part of your um, third chakra and a lot of times people are disconnected from their heart center which in turn means that their first second Third might be connected, but their fourth is really not able to link with the third because your diaphragm is a form of self-expression. And so um, if you think you're um, not so great, your diaphragm isn't going to function so great. If you're anxious or repressed, um, if you don't have a lot of um, self, what's the word? worth yeah yeah confidence if you feel if you've been been put down or if you feel like you've putting yourself in a little box your diaphragm's not going to function properly and those people who aren't into energy or don't believe this stuff won't believe it but it's diaphragm right and as teachers we teach conscious active breath we teach a um, deep diaphragmatic breath and if that beautiful trampoline isn't moving and isn't uplifted, you're fucked. You know, you're going to start feeling it's going to be manifested in your body as disease. Um, So we really try to do diaphragm releasing techniques and tricks. Do you want to try one? Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, It feels really weird and it reminds me a lot of... (laughs) It reminds me a lot of like um, like kriyas. Have you ever seen a naoli kriya, where they move the tummy? Oh yeah. And you kind of flutter your belly, right? This is kind of similar. So what you do is you put your hands here and you exhale all the air out, and then you hold your breath, and you hold your breath, and you hold your breath until you can't hold your breath anymore. 
And then you open up your arms and you inhale and you go. And then you release. Ready to drive? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're all doing really weird. <laughs> <laughs>
that's moving your diaphragm. And then once you start to like kind of get in tune with it, it's pretty amazing. Osteopaths, do you know uh, osteopaths? They're doctors, but they don't, they're a different kind of doctors. They're more like health doctors. They can literally <laughs> manipulate your diaphragm and release it. Because a lot of people's diaphragms are really tight. And they can't move it, and they can't, um, and so there is a lot of um, uh, uh, things that we hold on to in our tissues and our fibers and our structure. And when the osteopath works on it, it they can literally lift your diaphragm and, and like release it. Pretty fascinating. All right. Uh, artistic pursuits like painting is a way to be in the zone. Uh, uh, an uh, artist, a designer, an engineer, a writer, anytime that you're really like present in the moment uh, is to me a moving meditation. Like what is another one that I haven't said that you like to do? Gardening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, making music. Being like a jeweler or, you know, like playing with a kid, uh, you know, like it, it, having a, a good conversation. There's so many different ways to be in the zone. It's pretty limitless, but it's that flowing, um, gentle movement and a path to um, compassion and contemplation that we're really trying to find. And I think that's really hard when we're stuck in our heads, right? Um, uh, then this hands moving meditation we can um, experience. I would love to see if you would like to um, kind of uh, close your eyes for this. A lot of times, this is a good one to do, um, especially with kids, so they can kind of feel energy balls and play around with the idea of how powerful you are. This is a great way to teach people if you're a teacher and you're teaching like a prana class or you're teaching about like energy and you want to have people feel like um, that Seinfeld joke isn't a joke about the close talker, but like that we do have koshas or layers and as humans, once we peel away the layers and let go of our boundaries, we do, yes, become more vulnerable, but then we get closer to the heart of the matter and we get closer to our breath, which is our mantra. But when we're really layered and pressured and, um, and kind of compact and have so many walls around us, we aren't really able to sense that um, resonance of our being. And um, in the definition that I gave you for prana, the pra is that smallest unit or that atom. So you really have to think about is that we are that anushasanam. We are that smallest, tiniest little thing. And now is the time. Not tomorrow, not in the future, but now. So in order to really peel away the layers and be here now is such a big, crazy thing. So it's a, this is a fun way to teach it. Um, we have an energy field that we can feel between our hands. 
Uh, have any of you ever studied Reiki or done any hands-on healing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, yeah. So I find this really fascinating, um, and it is, uh, um, let's say like um, uh, Jesus was an Essene master, right? Okay, Essene masters were known as healers. Right? Jesus was known as a healer. So um, this discipline is something that is very from a long time, you know, it's been around for a long time. And there's lots of different ways to do healing, you know, and this is a really good thing too, as I said, to show prana, but it's also to show that you can heal through um, hands-on body work. Um, not just the manipulating of a massage, but the energy or the Reiki. Um, what's really cool is there's a nursing home that I work with, and we're bringing a lot of different modalities, and one of them is like hands-on healing, and so we had a spa day mm -hmm. where everybody in the nursing home got um, mani-pedis, mm -hmm. right? But people don't get touched, right, in nursing homes, and people don't get that like kind of contact. So this, just like a hands moving meditation, there's this energy field, and people really do ground down and calm down and allow themselves to kind of realign when you do something as simple as like massages to the hands, or energy work, or just you know, yeah, that first path to empathy. So let's test it out, okay? You're gonna close your eyes and sit comfortably and shake out your hands. Just completely, completely let everything go. Feel as if you were flinging water off of your fingertips. And as you begin to kind of relax the fingers, deepen your breath, and when your hands are relaxed and you feel like all that water is off of your fingers and you can stop moving them, begin to place your hands on your thighs. When your palms face down, it means you're circulating energy through your body so you're bringing into you what you need. But when your palms face up, it means that you're creating more of a receptive space to draw in. So I'm gonna have you face your palms up so that you can become a little bit of a conduit. You are energy. You have enough power in your body and so much pure potentiality. We just need to condition ourselves to really start to experience it and be a part of it and to listen. So observe the breath as your eyes are closed and feel the sensations in your hands. Begin to feel the pulse of the breath in your fingertips. Inhaling through the nose and exhaling through the nose. Feel the breath deepening. It's steady, and conscious, awake and active. And as your breath deepens, feel your belly 
rise and fall. Your diaphragm, that beautiful uplifting space within, massaging all of your internal organs. Your rib cage opens wide like wings. And every exhale, you can feel the ribs stitch back together. And then your chest. Feel your chest open. Feel the passion and the purpose of your inhales and your exhales. And breathe deeply. Inhaling and exhaling. Breathing belly, lungs, and ribs. Ribs, lungs, and belly. Inhaling and exhaling. Feel yourself relaxed, peaceful, present. Notice the path of compassion that you're creating. And as you breathe a little bit deeper, imagine a core, a bright light at the center of your being. And as you breathe in, let the light pulse a little brighter so that when you exhale, it gets a little bit lighter and dimmer. You can even get it a temperature if you'd like to. You can even give it a color. Feel the sensations as you inhale and exhale. Inhaling, you become brighter. Exhale, it becomes a little bit more subtle, subdued. Inhaling and exhaling. With each breath, imagine this incredible energy starting to fill up your entire chest, from the base of the spine to the top of your shoulders, inhaling and exhaling. Feel yourself glowing. With your inhale, you become brighter. With your exhale, you recharge. Inhale brightness as you feel the breath and the warmth and the brightness flowing down your arms and into your palms. Exhale, you get a little bit more control as you let go. Inhale and fill yourself up again, belly, chest, shoulders, arms, fingers. The light and the warmth are filling your entire body your chest cavity, your rib cage, your arms, your hands, inhaling and exhaling, brighter and steady. Feel this easeful state and feel the smoothness as you have this incredible equilibrium as you are the power Rest in this awareness and feel the warmth of that light, that energy filling your body in your hands.
Feel the air as it touches your palms, your fingers, the rings on your fingers, the pads of your hands, the nail beds of the fingers, and even your thumbs. Feel the outline of your hands and the space between your fingers as you find that pulsating bright light, inhaling brightness, exhaling, recharging, inhale, finding that conscious awareness, and exhale, feel the sacred energy in your palms. And when you're ready, gently start to lift your hands up off your body, just enough, just enough to release them into the air. Let them be perfectly still. So your hands are up off the legs, but you have this incredible power, this brightness. Feel the radiance as your shoulders relax, your arms and your palms are steady and true. As you lift your hands as slowly as, as possible, almost imperceptibly, feel the smallest movement in your awareness and continue to lift your hands. See how much you can slow yourself down, imagining the molecules, the tissues, the fibers, all of this stuff, the air rolling between your fingers, and then begin to slow the motion down, so much so that your hands feel as if they're moving by themselves. Inhaling and exhaling, sense the power within your fingertips. Feel them moving slowly by themselves. And when it feels right, when you feel like you are prepared with this power in your hands, turn your palms to face each other. And as your hands begin to face towards each other, begin to pulse them ever so slowly. Sense and feel. You don't even need to imagine because it is there, the edges of the energy field between your hands. You may feel as if you're holding a ball of pulsing energy. Feel the power and the strength as if your hands are on the opposite sides of a magnet. Your mind is relaxed, but you are aware and awake, grounded in your truth and witnessing the flow of sensations between your hands. For the next couple moments, let your hands move naturally and your mind can observe the smallest details of the sensation. Maybe you can move the ball in your hands, that really strong, energetic, pulsing ball that you have created. Inhaling and exhaling. And when you feel like you are ready and your hands are naturally moving around this beautiful sensation of strength and power, you are welcome to take your hands to a place on your body that needs healing or intention or just stay with this beautiful shape, this beautiful globe of energy and power, inhaling and exhaling as you find your wholeness.
Feel the self-healing you are creating as you activate this subtle flow of energy through your hands. Inhale and exhale, breathing deeply. And if you've placed your hands on your body that needs a little bit of attention, send that breath, your mantra, your intention of compassion and healing to that spot. And when it's, you're ready, just softly in your own time, allow your hands to rest in your lap. And if your hands are still holding the ball, really expressing and experiencing the movement, same thing in your own time. Let your hands come to rest on your lap. Inhaling and exhaling. Feel this really beautiful space that you've created. The power and the incredible brightness as you literally had that energy field between your hands, that pure potentiality of the breath, that beautiful, incredible life force that you witnessed and you allowed it to heal your molecules, your tissues, your fibers. You've allowed that beautiful, beautiful energy that flows through your body to create balance in your systems. As your hands come and rest on your lap, inhale and exhale, and breathe in the peace and the silence as you feel the breath, strong, open, confident, and aware. Inhaling and exhaling, feeling yourself whole. Feel this continuous flow that you've created. Feel this really graceful space as the flowing energy of the breath has allowed you to tap into the gratitude in your heart. And real softly, begin to take and bring your hands in front of your heart. As your hands are in front of your heart, feel that Anjali Mudra as you hold the preciousness of your heart in your hands. Inhaling and exhaling as you feel the incredible power that you have in your hands, in your body as your breath has become your mantra. And then real softly, begin to take and bring your hands to your forehead for right thought, your hands to your mouth for right speech, and your hands to your heart for right action, so that the merits of your practice can benefit all beings. And with a smile on your face, begin to real gently open your eyes.